0: Thompson, Glenda, would you like to join me and uh, I'd like to just ask you a few questions so that the people here um, have a a better understanding of who you are and what you do. Um, So first of all, uh, I've just got a few questions uh, and you can choose which one of you answers the questions, uh, maybe take it in turns or uh, up to you. Uh, My first question is where are you from?
1: We are from Nigeria. Nigeria. West Africa.
0: And whereabouts in Nigeria?
1: We live in the city of Jos, which is uh, almost at the heart of the country, not far from Abuja.
0: Um, we've only we've only got a short time, so I need to be quite quick. But can you just tell us what it's like living in Jos right now? What it is like living in Jos right
1: now? Um, Jos used to be a very peaceful place. It is called the Center of Peace and Tourism. But since uh, the activities of uh, Islamists started, Joss has become a place uh, that is, you feel unsettled when you live there. Uh, Christians and Muslims used to live together, but over the past few years, um, People live, Muslims live in Muslim areas, and uh, Christians live in their own areas. We've had fights where many people were killed. And uh, up till now, uh, a place like and other places, the Fulani always attack the indigenous people of Plateau State. And often, people are just killed.
0: So it's not easy. Um, Glenda, what what do you both do in JOS?
2: Well, of course, Thompson is into church planting and leads a group of about 100 churches. Uh, I have been involved with our schools. We started a nursery primary school in 1991 uh, with a view to providing good quality education at an affordable price. And uh, that school had continued to grow. 2007, we started a secondary school section, and uh, that has also grown. 2010, we started another nursery primary school. And if we put all the children in the three schools, we have 1,300 and about 22 from 1991 to date. So that's what we're. Involved in you know, or primarily myself
0: um when you talk about it, you make it sound very easy um, yeah we we put a church in there we we just put a school in there uh it must have brought some challenges
2: yes, uh, we've had lots of challenges. We actually started the schools out of nothing uh, initially, we started out of converted um buildings and then from there on continue to build on class by class uh, Every year until we got to where we are now and of course with Thompson. He Has a group of pastors working with him and uh, in the different Zones or districts where they work. They have also continued to plant our churches. So It's been quite challenging
0: um, Thompson, could you tell us about your link, your partnership with Bridge North Baptist Church? Um, so could you tell us how long you've been uh, partners with us and, um, and can you tell us what we do for you that, um, that maybe is helpful?
1: Thank you. Um, my link with this church started with uh, Margaret William, uh, who was in Azare. as a teacher and uh, was attending one of my churches. And uh, I think she introduced me to teamwork led by Dave Tomlinson. And that was how I came to UK for the first time. And since 1989, I have been coming here. Yeah. And um, when we started the school, uh, it was to provide education for children who couldn't afford going to private schools. Uh, the government schools, they are good, but oftentimes they have problems. Take, for instance, for the past, all teachers and civil servants on the plateau, which is the capital, which is the state where we live in, they haven't been paid for seven months or they are owed seven months salary now. And when you are a teacher and for seven months you haven't been paid, how are you going to teach the children? So this is why this school was established and uh, most of them come from very poor families and because it is a fee-paying school so that we'll be able to pay the teachers, build facilities, um, the children that can't pay, we depend on people in this country, the good people in this country, and you being one of them. You have been supporting and sponsoring children and uh, some individuals that are blessed in this country gave us the money to build the facilities, uh, the hostels, the classrooms, uh, electric transformer, boreholes, and all kinds of things. And uh, presently, Glenda is saying that there are some children who need sponsorship, and if they are not sponsored, it means they are going to drop out of the school. Maybe Glenda will tell you, more about the sponsorship.
2: Yeah, well it costs uh, 90 pounds to train a child in the primary school for a year, and 280 pounds to train a child in the school for uh, a year uh, in the secondary school. It might interest you to know that since 2003 when we started graduating children from the secondary school uh, 600, sorry, Over 1,022 children have been graduated from the secondary school. Out of that, 688 have graduated from universities, different universities, uh, within Nigeria and out of Nigeria, some of course in the UK, some in the US, uh, Ukraine, Malaysia, and they've all graduated in different fields like medicine, pharmacy, and, you know, architecture, different areas. Uh, In fact, presently we have one that graduated and is a pilot uh, in Nigeria. Now, out of the 1,022 that have graduated, 104 of them were sponsored children. And out of the 104, 20 have graduated from the university, and uh, we still have 38 in different universities in Nigeria.
0: Great, so it's working, (laughs) it's good that it's working. Um, Finally, is is there anything that you would like us to give thanks for, or is there anything that you would like us to pray for?
1: Thank you. The fact that Nigeria is still intact as one country is something for which we'd like you to thank God for us. We had elections and uh, the president who is supposed to be a Christian was voted out a Muslim. Now is the president. Uh, but the vice president is a nice man, a Christian, a pastor, real born again, Christian. So we need to pray for them. Uh, the economy of Nigeria is so bad. Uh, the price of oil dropped. Uh, Naira has been devalued. This time last year, uh, a pound sterling exchanged for 260, 270. Now it is 330 Naira to the pound. And yet there is speculation that the Naira is going to be devalued more. I contacted my secretary so that the little money I saved up so that they could buy pound sterling and keep for me before the devaluation. The story is that you can't even find it anywhere to buy. And if the devaluation happens, it means the little you have has been reduced drastically. So then Boko Haram activities, it seems there is no solution, humanly speaking, because it has turned into guerrilla warfare. They are dispersed into small villages and pick soft spots to attack to bomb and to kill people so as you thank god for us you also pray for us thank you
0: um thank you um before you um before you go back and sit down i, I think we would certainly like to pray for you um i i don't know whether i'm the only one who uh, feels like this but i When I think about um, African countries, a lot of African countries, um, I think there's a temptation to think that um, it's all about money and it's all about um, just making sure that they've got enough money to do the right things to do what they need to do. But actually, listening to you, I get more of a sense that it's about the people, the important people um, who are in important positions. If you think, you mentioned Boko Haram, Um, if you think about uh, the people who are involved in leading that group, we can still pray for them, can't we? Um, Because God is capable of being an influence in their lives, even though it seems close to impossible. Um, We believe in a God who is capable of anything. Um, The children uh, doing the puppets this morning reminded us of that. Um, So I'd I think we should. I think we should pray for those people, for you two included, uh, for those important, influential people who can make a positive difference in in difficult situations. Okay. Father God, you, you know each one of us. You uh, look after each one of us, and you have brought Thompson and Glenda safely to us, so that they can share something of what their lives are like and what the challenges are and what there is to be thankful for. Thank you for them. Thank you for their determination to do your will in the place where they live. Thank you that you have brought them the things that they need when they have needed them. Thank you for the successes. We ask that you continue to bless and encourage them that the situations which are most difficult will seem less difficult. We ask that their ambitions in your name will be, um, will be blessed and will come to fruition. And we pray for those important people in Nigeria, those, those leaders who have decisions to make, that they would be open-minded And not closed-minded we pray that they would think of um, the people that they are responsible for and they would make good decisions based on the people that they are responsible for that they would treat people with compassion with humanity with love and we pray that you would be an influence a strong influence in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus amen and Ian and Jane are welcoming people to their house uh, later, uh, looking for you for a time. What about one-ish? I know that some people have already signed up to go to a barbecue at Ian and Jane's house uh, to spend time with you. And uh, I'm I'm sure that if you have a word with Ian and Jane who are on the balcony, if you haven't already said that you're interested in uh, being part of that, then they could probably find space for you. Um, But a warm welcome to you and uh, look forward to chatting with you a bit more later on. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, On my um, sheet, it says 11.05, Graham speaks, in brackets, Graham. That must be you, I think. Um, just before Graham speaks I'm sure he would do this himself so I might be stealing his thunder a bit but do not forget the things in this morning's service that have challenged you Uh, I was reading the the God part over there and when it came to the last bit I I, I was struggling to, um, to, to deliver my lines because that story of Abraham and Isaac is one that has brought me to tears before and I'm and it will do again, every, every time, it's, it's something probably the most, um, the most emotionally charged story for me. Um, and uh, it was Graham that set the, uh, the rainbows, the, the challenge of, well Mary in particular, the challenge of making a puppet sketch to, to bring in the, uh, the Hagar story, the servant girl, and... Uh, the sacrifice of Isaac into a puppet sketch done by under 11-year-olds. So well done, Graham, for that. You. Yes. Uh, if uh, if you've delegated that to other people, you've probably got the easy bit now. Yes. Uh, but even though you've got the easy bit, I'd still like to just pray for you before you start, if that's okay. Thank you. uh, Jesus, you, uh, you've got something for us every day. Um, you've already delivered to us the most important message, in that there is life in you, and that that is life that conquers death. So, other messages might be simpler, but maybe not. We pray that the message that Graham has for us today, which you have given him, is delivered clearly and effectively, so that people walk away from here challenged and determined to do something different in their lives. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
3: Thank you. Okay, um, good morning. Good morning. I have learned a lesson today that maybe all preachers should learn, which is this if you're going to preach, don't spend the first half of the service singing yourself hoarse. <laughs> so. But um, it, w- it would appear that I am amply provided for with water, so. All right, so, fantastic. Uh, I, have, um, I have been presented with a testimony to give in the middle of this sermon this morning that I wasn't expecting to have, but that will be good, and we'll try and squeeze it in. And it's, it's five-past-eleven. My goodness. When's the barbecue? We we might be a little late, but um, we'll definitely be there. Um, I'm talking for everybody here. No, we're good, we're good, we're good. Right, so we're talking about Abraham, and Abraham is an interesting character. And what I want to talk to you about is big and little, and and how affected we are by big and little, and, and whether we actually ever get big enough, and whether we ever see little things as being as little as they are and And i 'm going to sort of talk about that, but let 's talk now Abraham interestingly enough there 's a lot of archaeological evidence for Abraham, so Abraham around two thousand b c his dad Terah, took him out of our our uh, modern city actually still, but just about two hundred miles outside of Baghdad at the time at the era of of there 's actually some um documentation of a tribal migration out of Ur. It's really quite interesting, actually, that, you know, really the likelihood is that, you know, the accuracy of the Bible as years go on is more and more established. And there's Abraham coming out. And the interesting thing about Abraham, let's just be clear about Abraham, Abraham was a real mixed bag. He was was a mixed sort of guy. I, I hesitate to say that he was a bit like us because he was undoubtedly a great man. But he was a lot like us, you know, so God says to him, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you, and of course we know that comes true. But that's that's big, isn't it? That's a big statement. I mean, I don't know how you react if big things arrive, are you somebody who panics? Are you somebody who gets agitated? Are you somebody who says, fantastic, I will now abandon all my responsibilities because I have something big to do? Are you the other way around where you go, but what about my toast in the morning? What about my… And you, you panic. I mean, how do we react to big things? Abraham reacted to big things. Sarah reacted to big things. And it's quite interesting when we look at things, we say, well, that's impossible. But Abraham was remarkable, I'm I'm going to read my list because it's easier. Abraham was capable in the story, it's an epic story. Read the story of Abraham. He had a very busy life. Guy did a lot, but he was capable of great courage, he he could behave honorably, he managed a lot of his affairs fairly and generously, he was loyal to his family, Um, he was someone that other people respected, and above all, God talks to him. And Abraham believes what God says. That's all good. On the other hand, he lies. And he more than once, got into trouble. Didn't learn. Did it again. Hey, he's nothing like us then, is he? Hey, so and he used other people at their risk. He could be quite cowardly and dishonourable. He makes a mess of managing his household, and when God talks, he doesn't trust him to deliver. So he's absolutely both. What is Abram like? Me, possibly you. I wouldn't like to say, and it, you know he was—he wasn't a perfect character. He was—he he had flaws. And the, one thing I—I I don't know if you've ever noticed. About character flaws, but our character flaws mirror image our character strengths. Have you noticed that? We do remarkably well, and then remarkably badly. And and quite often we sort of mirror, you know, because our our character has certain characters. So therefore, if you think about it logically, inevitably, the areas in which we're kind of going to do well. Are the bits that are dominant about our character. But equally, the kind of things that we're going to do tragically badly about are the bits about our character. So, we're all a bit like that. Does that make sense? Abraham was a bit like that. We learn a lot about Abraham. Really interesting. So, it goes through all of this. But I want, I want the first thing I want to talk about is just big. Okay, so here's the first big. The first big is going to surprise you, I hope. The first big is Jesus. You see, the thing about Abraham is that it tells us that a lot of the time our concept of Jesus isn't big enough. Okay, I'll have to explain that. Well, Okay, right. So, it works like this. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. When God speaks, He uses what? Let's let's go back a second. When you speak, what do you use? Words, yes, absolutely, words. In the beginning was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So who is the Word of God? Jesus. So when the Bible says, and the Word of the Lord came to Abraham, we don't say what word, we say who word. And this carries on all the way down the Bible. So, when you talk about the word of the Lord came to Joshua after Moses died, it says it was a man who was the commander of the Lord's host. And he said this, he said, "'Take your shoes off because you're on holy ground.' And when Joshua worshiped Him, unlike angels, the man did not say, "'Stand up because I'm a servant just like you.'" When people worshiped angels, you'll notice in Scripture, the angel says, don't worship me, worship the Lord of hosts. But when the man who was the commander of the forces of the Lord of hosts was worshiped by Joshua, he let him worship because he was the word of the Lord. It was a vision of Jesus. Jesus is telling the truth when He says, before Abraham was, I am. You see, when Jesus was born in the nativity, that was the physical incarnation of the Son of God who'd always been. So, if we start to think that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, He didn't. Is our concept of Jesus too small? He tracks through all time and before time and beyond time. And Abraham teaches us that our vision of Jesus is far too small. You know, he wasn't a sort of, you know, thirty-three-year-old suicidal who did some good stuff, and that's the parameters of Jesus. He was the incarnation of God Almighty. He was the Word of God. When the Word of God comes, who is the Word of God? Jesus. So, anyway, there's my, my first point. So he speaks to Abraham. Abraham struggles. Because it's all about offspring, and Abraham hasn't got any. So when Abraham thinks, well, this is a really important vision, this really matters to me, I've really heard from God, it really makes a big difference. It's not going, um, really looking like it's going to come about. So what I'll do is I'll take it in my own hands and make it happen. And in that, I appreciate that Abraham is completely different from anybody else in this room, in that we get very excited about a vision. It doesn't quite happen in our timing. We can't see any way in which it's going to work, so we start to force it. Anybody done that? Say amen if you've done that. Amen. Ah, that's right. I was beginning to feel lonely there for a second. Yeah. But, you know, let's think about this, so so God says Abraham's going to be a great nation. Abraham believes this is good, he's a bit hesitant, he asks God what will happen, it's worth asking the question. God says, don't worry, you'll have a son. Abraham doesn't do so well this time, so he goes and takes it all into his own hands. Not a good move, by the way. Um, God reiterates the promise. Tell Sarah shall have a son. Sarah finds it quite funny, lies about it. Remember, I said, um, not good. Um, but then there comes the son. But equally, when the son arrives, God asks Abraham to give him up. Only this time, Abraham does. Okay, so three things about Abraham. Just for you, just that I'd like to point out, there's lots, there's no end of what you can tell you about Abraham. But just three simple things. The first thing is this, Abraham learned. So by the time we get to take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him, Abraham has learned that God knows what he's doing. It's taken him a long time to learn it, But let's be fair to Abraham. He had no Bible, no written word, no church leaders, no online sermons. He had none of that to help him learn. He was learning on his own. So actually, well done, Abraham. But the thing is, Abraham learned. He learned that God had His plan and God would bring His plan into fruition in the way that God wanted to do it. How long does it take us to learn? Here's a a little test. I won't give you a question, but here's a little test. Okay, the last thing that agitated you, so you got yourself in a bit of a two and eight. Can you think of that one? Okay. Has that ever happened before in your life? Did you die? Did God look after you? Okay, little bit of learning still to be done about not getting in a two and eight about things that God will sort. Am I being unfair? We have to learn, but how teachable are we? How quickly do we learn this? Where am I going to live? Relevant thing for me. Have I ever been homeless? No, I haven't. Has God always found me somewhere to live? Yes, he has. Am I anxious about it? Please don't ask that question. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying. How long does it take us to learn? And and I don't know about you, but we're like this with lots of things, about relationships that go on, about our family, about our finances, about our health, about... All of these things. But over and again, God is faithful. He doesn't do things the way we like it, but He does it. How long? How teachable are we? How quick does it take us to get to the point with with Jesus' most challenging statement ever in the whole Bible, don't worry about anything. I mean, that's a bit unfair, isn't it, really, let's be honest. But you know, it's about learning, isn't it? It's about and the thing about Abraham was Abraham learned. He might have been, he might have had his difficulties, but he was teachable. That's fantastic. Number two, Abraham believed. Now, believing is a really important thing. The Bible says in Genesis 15 and 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's a principle that applies to us as well because we think about what gets said. You know, Jesus is given to us as our righteousness. So what does Paul say? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Philippi to the jailer who was panicking, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus Himself said, remember John 3.16, whoever believes in Him, meaning Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation is based on belief that we believe and we put in. Now, what is it that Abraham did that was so good about believing God? Well, he believed God and then followed His Word. See, James says, don't just hear the Word, do what it says. Believing is active. Believing is doing. Believing isn't head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. You know what you know. When I was a young man, I went a bit astray. It's it's always awkward. I don't like saying this, but it is true that when you become a child as a young person like me, I became a Christian at 11, you actually do all your significant sinning after you've become a Christian, which which actually really messes up um, the, the, the sort of games that Satan can play with you. Because really, in theory, you should know better, so the accuser whispers in your ear And it's kind of, you can't go, well, that was the old man, because actually it wasn't, that was the new man. That was the new somewhat stupid man, but it was the new man, and that's quite difficult. It's not that easy that you're brought up in a Christian family and you become a Christian at a young age. It has its challenges. You carry scars like everybody else. It's quite interesting, but the thing is this, that in the end, In the middle of my rebellion, I couldn't get away from the fact that I knew the truth. I couldn't pretend that I didn't know any longer. You know, it was there, and it was a game. I was just, I didn't like the consequences, I wanted to go my own way, but the problem was I knew what I knew, and I couldn't unknow it. It was a secret and it was out. It was rather hard. I did get quite cross about it, but then I was a stroppy young man, I have to say. Much more pleasant now, obviously. But there you go. So, so, and, but it's that thing. And Abraham was the same. He saw it. It was true. See, when, when Abraham tried to take things in his own hands, he wasn't saying, I don't believe this will happen. He just was saying, I think my role should be a bit bigger than it's currently been allocated as. I feel I should be more senior in this plan than I currently appear to be. But he wasn't saying it's not going to happen, but it did cause a problem. And the final one is the obvious one, that that Abraham obeyed. Abraham learned to obey God, to do what it was, to do things God's way, to trust that God worked the outcome, and He knew the outcome before the beginning. We will sing that hymn, Trust and Obey, do you know that hymn? Love it. And what's the consequence of trust and obey? to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. He's in charge and we are not. So Abraham learned. Are we teachable? Abraham believed. Do we believe in a way that changes our life? And do we obey? Now, the interesting thing, and I've said this before, but there is a very useful definition of learning, and it goes like this. Learning is a change in behavior as a result of new or additional information or skills. So in other words, because you have come to know something or be able to do something, you actually behave differently. So we know that you've learned because you don't behave like you used to behave. You behave differently because you've learned. So you know what I mean, you learn that the fire burns. And we we then begin to observe you not trying, like my grandchildren, not trying to throw yourself headlong into the fire because it's pretty. You learn and your behavior changes. And we should see that spiritually. If we learn that God is all-sufficient, we should begin to change our behavior when difficulties and troubles and challenges come. If If we have learned that God is enormous rather than little, then our spiritual ambitions should begin to affect our, our behavior and become larger and bigger. Does that make sense? The learning changes our behavior. So that's the first question, do we learn? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Are we teachable? Are we humble? Do we reserve our right to panic? Do we reserve our right to claim it's not fair? Do we reserve our right to take matters into our own hands? Do we reserve our right, and it works like this, and I'm including myself, that when we get proper scared, instead of our instinct to be to pray more, we start to pray less? Do you notice that? Not good. I know. But we do it. Have we learned? What have we learned on our journey? What did Abraham learn on his journey? He learned that even if it looked like his son's life was on the line, he had to trust God. It took him along. What are we learning? Okay, the second one, and I know we haven't got much time, so I'm, I'm not going to labor it, but, but I did in my head create a huge postmodernist diatribe <laughs> that I'm sure you can tell from my description you would have found really fascinating but I'm not going to do it, but it's this. Okay, we've got Isaac, we've got Ishmael. What is it that you want to inherit? Do you want to inherit the world or inherit the promise? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Ishmael grew, that was Abraham's son by Hagar, and became a massive nation. We've been hearing about their descendants already. They were huge. The tribes became massive. He had he a had huge number of relatives, and even, you know, within two or three generations, you could see Ishmael's influence spreading across the world, huge amounts of territory, Tribes all over the place, very disparate. One of the things it said about Ishmael was that he would be a wild donkey, that he would be at odds with every other family member he had. Clearly that character trait carries on, but still massive, and there's the world. And then there was Isaac, the one son, and and he became the father of one nation. One still beleaguered nation, but His was the promise because there came Jesus, and with Jesus came no money, no riches, no comfort, no worldly conquest, none of those things. Challenge, but a hope beyond. And my challenge for you is this, what have you learned in your life? What have you learned? About what the world offers. Because you see, in the Bible it says this it says that as sons of God, we inherit the kingdom with Jesus. That's what we're told. Now, that's the kingdom of God. Now, those of you, this is, and I'll be brief, but those of you who immediately I say sons go daughters. This, you're not understanding how the Bible talks. This is how it works. Sons. God made man, both male and female. Sons is about inheritance. Daughters is about betrothal. All you ladies who are in Jesus, you sons, just like the men. All you men are in Jesus, you daughters, just like the women. The Bible does not talk in terms of postmodernism, that was my point. It's not there. We are all sons because we inherit, and we're all daughters because we don't create, the Bible does not create that kind of gender difference. God made man both male and female. So all women are sons and brothers with Jesus, and all men who are in Jesus. And all men are daughters because we are the bride of Christ, because God made man both male and female. There is no contention between man and woman in the Bible. And one is not higher or more important or more filled with the Holy Spirit or more spiritually worthy. There are none of these distinctions in the Bible. I know you're going to argue about church structures, but I'm not going to go there today. And, and, and I'm happy to do that, but we don't have the time. But the other side of it is if we look at modernism, this is modernism talked about, about freedom, but what it actually meant was rebellion. And postmodernism is about identity, but what it's really about is consumerism. And how do you control people? You set one faction against another, and you sell to both. And there is the strength in postmodernism. But whatever you do, do not try to translate the Bible into postmodern language, because you will skew its meaning, and in the end, it will look as though you are less than you are in God. The Bible makes you more than the world does. I hope I haven't over labored that. Trust me, my original diatribe was much longer, but really interesting. Anyway, by the by, just to say, therefore, what are we looking to inherit? You know, is the world what we want? You know, really when it comes down to have we learned to reject that, or is it really all about? the car we can afford, the holiday we can go on, you know, the the academic or personal achievements of our children. I mean, really, does the meaning of our life fall down and become defined by soft furnishings, tastefully matching? I mean, is that, is that the measure of it? Or is there a life beyond? And if that is the measure of our life, then like where Abraham started, His concept of God was too small. His concept of our inheritance is too small if we think that. Our understanding of Jesus is too small if we think that that is all there is. What we need to see is Jesus (laughs) ascended at the throne of God, interceding for us, making absolutely everything possible. That God can take one tent-dwelling Stone Age man and change the course, not just of the physical history of the world, but the spiritual well-being of mankind. That's what God can do. I mean, do we want to buy into that? Do we want to buy into that? Think of the possibilities. What I'm saying is the world is too small for a born-again believer and has nothing that is of much value compared to the riches that we have in Christ. Learn from Jesus and choose to inherit the promise, not the world. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. But I suppose the really important thing for me to say to you today is this, be like Abraham. Learn. Look at what the world offers and how many times it lets you down and how many times you get what you want and it turns out empty. Here's one of the things I just want to point out, right. In your life, think about this and go through your experience. You get what you want, because lots of people get what they want. So you get whatever, you know, you get the house you want, or the car you want, or the job you want, or the position that you want, or the holiday that you want. You've got what you want, yes? And then one of your children becomes ill, or you get ill, or you suffer great pain, or, or something, you know, happens at work that makes it look like you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Okay. How much at that point? How much thought are you giving to that house or that car or that holiday or that? How much are you giving? And the answer is it's gone out of your mind. You're no longer thinking about that. What you're thinking about is what is really troubling you. And that's because the essence of our well-being is spiritual and not material. And when we feel we are spiritually threatened, all things material begin to disappear. Learn from this, learn from this that our investment needs to be spiritual. Okay, if you don't know Jesus, let me let me encourage you to be introduced today because He can change your life and give you a promise that you will not get from anywhere else. You really will not get it from anywhere else. If you believe that God can't use you, you are being lied to. I want to just tell you right now, Thomson Glenda mentioned Dave Tomlinson and the teamwork team. Well, that's why I'm here. Did you not know that? The teamwork team contacted me when I lived in London with Arlene and sent me to Willadene Farm to help John Holmes set up Willadene Farm. And then the teamwork team, only this time it was Phil Moabier and not Dave Tomlinson, got in touch, and I ended up working in South America. You're here because of teamwork. I'm here because of teamwork. God used Abraham. God used Dave Tomlinson. And here we are. Look at this. Who'd have believed it? Can God use you to really influence the world in strange, back or beyond places like Bridge North? Yes. Yes, He can. Don't think of God in a way that's too small because He can use your ministry to change the world. Do you want to be part of that? Learn. I have to do it. I'm not just telling you. I'm telling myself. Learn. Be a son of the promise. Be an inheritor of the promise. Spoken far too long, but thank you very much. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you opened the way for all of us to inherit the kingdom of God through You. Lord, we just confess that oftentimes the troubles of this world and the things that we get hung up on just create a concept and an understanding of You and Your glory that is just too small. And we find ourselves imprisoned in the smallness of life. And we don't realize, Lord, that You can take our small portion And You can spread it abroad and feed the world if that's Your will. Lord just help us to learn just exactly how big Your promises are. Help us to believe how great the inheritance, Lord, and teach us to obey that we might hear Your Word and act on it and be different people. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you want prayer, there will be people available uh, to pray with you. Please don't hesitate.
2: Thank you.